Happy New Year and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, this past year has been a very challenging one for a lot of people around the world, and this and many other situations in our lives can cause us to be discouraged, and God knows about this. But looking at Paul, we see that he kept on going and successfully defeated discouragement, despite a life full of major challenges. How was he able to maintain focus on the essentials, and what seven strategies can we learn from him? To find out more, join me for an encouraging message of hope now. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you had a good transition into the new year, and, and I'm glad you can join us this morning, even though I cannot see you. Yeah, last week we had some technical problems. In case the stream will be cut, we will try to make it available somehow else or restart it, but then the old link won't work. So in case it happens, just that you're aware of, of that. Um, so yeah, as we enter the new year, have you made any New Year's resolutions? If you did, well, today is the third day of the year, and were you able to keep them until now? Hopefully. Uh, I once heard somebody define what a new New Year resolution is by saying, well, New Year resolutions are a list of things that you do for the first week of January. So that doesn't sound like a big change, or? Um, if we want to change things in our lives, we need to change uh, the way also we think about it. If you think the same thing over and over, you will not experience a lot of change in your life. In the Bible, the change of thinking about spiritual things is called repentance. The Greek word repentance is metanoia and then consists actually of two words. The word noia has to do with the mind and we also know this from the word para paranoia. Uh, and meta means after or beyond. So combined these two terms mean afterthought or put differently, um, a changed mind. At least this is based on Wikipedia, the most common term used, the, the term it was most commonly used in the Greek world. So anytime you change your mind from how you have been looking at something to how God is looking at it, it is repentance or a changed mind. It is looking at things less and less from my point of view, but from God's point of view. Our mind is twisted and influenced by many other things like culture, education, experiences, and so on. And I believe the best way to think is the way God thinks. Since God is a God of truth, and the more I get God's truth in my life, the more my thinking will be changed and will lead to repentance, so I can live in a better way. We usually associate repentance when we think of sin. And that's what we do when we repent from sin. We start realizing our sin by seeing it from God's view, and therefore ask for his forgiveness. You might have realized that the same thing um, and by things, I don't mean only the, in a, the things in a material way, but same things can be seen differently by different people. And also God looks at things differently than we often do. Uh, let me illustrate this, how a change of you can make a difference. I prepared two pictures for you. Hope you can see them. And I really admire the artist who did this. Um, if you look at these two pictures, you can see a lion on top and a pig at the bottom. But now, what happens if you turn these two pictures upside down? Probably you can see that now on your screen. I hope so. If everything works right, then now you should see that the lion turned into a, a mouse or something like that, and the pig became an owl. So what has happened? The pictures, they're still the same. But our view has changed, revealing something different. And when we think about things or situations that discourage us, I think it can be helpful 
to look at these things with God's eyes to get the right perspective. We can be discouraged about the many bad things that happen in this world. And if you think this is a problem of our time, well, it has been all since the beginning. God gives us a free choice, and often we as humans do not follow what God told us to do, and therefore we suffer consequences. And when we see or experience these consequences, we can get discouraged. But also other things that are not caused by sin can cause discouragement. Right now we experience a pandemic, which has been causing many people to be worried and discouraged. And discouragement can be especially hard when it's caused by something out of our control, when we know that we can't do anything about it, like COVID-19. I don't know if or about what you might be discouraged right now. It can be your or someone's health, your finances, situations in church or in your family, worries about the future. Probably you might even be discouraged about God, that he is not doing what you expect him to do in your life. So today, let's look at how we can defeat discouragement in our lives because discouragement can be quite destructive. It can cause you to give up trying. It can cause you to give up hoping or caring, throwing everything away. When you get discouraged, you can give up believing. And the Bible has to say a lot about discouragement. And let's start by looking at Exodus 6, verse 9, where it says, So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord has said. But they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. I wonder if there's something that you feel is enslaving you. What burden is getting you down? What problem do you face? Um, something that you carry with you for a long time. Like the people here in Exodus, they were so discouraged that they would not even listen to God. Can it be the case in your life that something is discouraging you so much that you are not open to God's word anymore, that you're blinded uh, in your spiritual life? The Israelites couldn't hear God because of their discouragement, because the heavy burden in their lives. Maybe you have felt that way already. David felt this as well in Psalm 42, 5, where it says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then he picks up another thought, a result to his question. And that's what I like about the Psalms, that often they start with a, a problem, a complaint, a worry, just to end with praising the Lord despite the circumstances. And that's what David does here, answering his own question. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. Anytime you feel discouraged, you need to change your thoughts, your mind. You need to change your focus. What we will today is look at a great example from Paul uh, on how to change your mind to defeat discouragement. Paul had many, many reasons to be discouraged. He had a really tough life and I guess a tougher life than any one of us. Um, <clears throat> when he talked about these consequences, um, and also last week Hans Georg shared a little bit about this when he talked about the consequences of serving. And in case you have missed that, let's read again what we saw already last week. Um, what Paul went through. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Well, that's a big one. <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. 
Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers. Um, sorry, I lost my line there. <laughs> rivers from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in uh, cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. And you think you have problems? After reading this, if anybody... Um, had the right to be discouraged, it would be Paul. If your life was that way, I guess you would have a right to be discouraged. And yet in 2 Corinthians 4, which is our main passage for today, Paul gives us a few secrets of defeating discouragement. So I pray that this will be a very hopeful and helpful message today. And let me remind you that you also have the sermon outline and all the verses in the Bible app. If you want to take notes or if you want to continue to study the passage for yourself or if you have missed anything. God knows that we as humans easily can become discouraged. And looking through the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, we find many passages that encourage us not to be afraid or discouraged. And here with Paul, we see a strategy that helped him not to be discouraged. Now, the first secret of defeating discouragement is this one. Never forget how much God loves me. You have to keep this constantly in focus if you want immunity from discouragement because everything in life flows out from the love of God, out of the mercy of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God. All flows out of His love. Of course, you know that God loves you, hopefully. Probably you have heard this all your life. Uh, in Sunday school, from your, from your parents, or probably in previous sermons, you know that God loves you, but do you feel it? When you stop lo- feeling the love of God, when you can't feel it in your heart, that's when you start to get discouraged. And so you've got to know the mercy, you've got to know the grace, and you've got to feel it. Let's look at the first verse of Second Corinthians 4, where it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Or in other translations, it says, we don't give up, we don't get discouraged. Therefore, because God's mercy and love is in it, we don't get discouraged. And that that is the thought that is carried throughout the whole chapter, where Paul mentions again, that's why he does not give up or get discouraged. So this whole chapter is about discouragement. And here he starts by saying, I don't get discouraged because I remember how much God loves me. I remember the mercy, the grace, the kindness of God. When I'm focused on that, it drives the discouragement away. Everything you have in life is a gift of God's mercy. And therefore, Paul refers to mercy in his words. Our lives themselves are a gift of the mercy of God. So what is mercy? I don't know if you remember, but I preached about goodness and mercy in August 2019. And I used a slide to explain more about goodness and mercy. Maybe you can see that now. 
And where it said that mercy basically is when God gives me what I need and not what I deserve. And mercy is when God knew every mistake I will make in my life and yet he still created my life. God knows every sin I will ever commit in my life and he still loves me and you. And Paul says, for me not to get discouraged, what I have to do is I have to focus on the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And that keeps me going. Think about it. In situations when you get discouraged, do you stop feeling the love of God at that moment? Remember this in the future. It's hard to remember how much God loves you and be discouraged at the same time. I don't know why, but a lot of people don't feel God's love because they think God only speaks to them in a critical voice they hear the mom or dad or every time god speaks to them it's always negative but if the voice of god is always negative to you then it's not the voice of god you've got to keep the love of god in your mind um remember that you were created to be loved by god god made you to love something we have been talking and preaching about for many times are you letting god love you You were made to be loved by God, and this is what it means to have the mercy and love of God always in your mind. And two other benefits of always focusing on God's love and mercy is, number one, I don't have to prove my worth. You can get off the performance cycle trap. And number two, I don't have to wall in my failures, because I know of God's mercy, grace, and love. Now, in the second verse of chapter 4, Paul gives us the second key of defeating discouragement, and this is also important. And the point or the, 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 the strategy he uses there is, he says, never fake it. Be yourself. What I'm talking about here is being authentic, being genuine, being real. You've got to be who God made you to be. Nothing can be more discouraging than trying to be some, somebody you're not. Because when you wear a mask, and I'm not talking about these little masks now that we wear during the pandemic. <laughs> um, but when you, when you pose, that gets tiring. And you might be afraid that other people might find out who you are, or you might be afraid that God might not love you. I try to say this in a simple way, but God did not make you to be someone else. When you get to heaven, God is not going to say, why you weren't more like your sister or your brother or your parents? Why you were not more like your pastor? or Why you were not more like Billy Graham? God does not bless fakes or phonies. He doesn't bless posers. God does not bless it when you try to be something you are not. If you want God's blessings in your life, you better start being who God made you to be. Stop living for the pleasure, the pleasing or approval of other people. God didn't put you on earth for the approval of other people. He put you on earth to be who you are And when you are who God made you to be, then God looks at you and says, well, that's my point. That's my girl. We don't need two of anybody else. God made you unique and he wants to use you. And if you're not going to be real, how will God be able to use you? And why shouldn't God just take you into heaven right away? God wants to use you the way he made you. And not by living up to somebody else's standards or by trying to hide the truth. Not the truth about you or the truth about God's word. Um, Paul says, don't fake it. And here we read it in verse 2. But we have turned away from secret and shameful ways. We use no trickery and we do not change the teaching of God. We teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we are. 
then they can know in their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight. Paul says, I'm not trying, I'm just trying to be myself. I'm not trying to please anybody else. I've got nothing to hide. What you see is what you get. It is very discouraging to try to please everybody. Look at Jesus. Even he wasn't able to please everybody. Even God can do that. You see, when a group of people pray for one thing and another group for the opposite thing, well, God would answer both prayers or I would do that. And I remember um, many years ago, a child, and I'm not sure if it was my brother or some other child, um, saw the members of two soccer teams pray before the game. They prayed for the victory. And, well, the child asked the question, which prayer of the teams is God is going to answer? And then he gave the answer by himself. Well, probably the team that prayed first. Um, because God, probably thinking because God wouldn't take back a promise. So if you're in sports, remember to pray first. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but remember that you don't have to be perfect for God to bless you. But you have to be authentic. You have to be real. So Paul says, first, I want you to remember that God will never stop loving you. And second, be who he made you to be. I think it is good and important if we can talk about the flaws and failures because we can grow from the weaknesses of each other and from, from, our, from seeing our own ones. If we see how God can use someone despite their weakness, it can be encouraging to know that God will use us as well with our weaknesses. Often it is in our weaknesses that we can help other people. What keeps you from being real often is fear. Does the fear of rejection keep you from being honest about your weakness? And what is the antidote to this fear? Remember the point number one we had, focusing on God's unconditional love for me. If I know that God loves me, it doesn't play such a big role what others think of me. Now to the third point of defeating discouragement. Remember that it is not about me. The more self-focused I am in life, the more prone to discouragement I'm going to be. Every time that you forget that life is bigger than you, that you are not the center of the universe, you're going either to get prideful, fearful, or, or bitter. God did not make the world to revolve around you. And when you think everything is about you, then you take everything personally, and you get your feelings hurt very easily. And here's the next verse in chapter 4, verse 5. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. So the first thing Paul says here is that the message is not about themselves. God wants to use your life as a message, a testimony to others. But your life message is not about you. It's about God. God didn't put you on earth so everything is about you, but about him. The message, the testimony of your life should be about your creator, your God. And to say that it is not about you is a very countercultural message in our days and age. Usually everything in our world says the opposite, that it's all about you. In our society, it is seen as something important to care for our own good first, to find self-fulfillment at any cost. I need to remind myself of this principle as well, and I guess we all need to. Remember that your life reflects God. And if somebody praises you, it's not about you. When somebody criticizes you, it's not about you. When somebody misjudges something you do, it's not about you. 
somebody who disagrees with you, it's not about you. When I focus on me, I get discouraged. In the second part of this verse, it says that we are your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul uses this phrase twice in this chapter, and this is his motivation. Motivation and discouragement have a lot to do with each other. God is always more interested in why you do something and not that you do something uh, and, and not how you do something. So he's more interested in why you do what you do than what you do. Because he cares about the motivations of your heart. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Why also determines how long. When you go out on a project or have a goal or ambition and you forget why you do it, that's the time you get discouraged and probably quit. A lot of people start off in life knowing why they want to do something, like a certain career or marrying a certain person. But when you forget why you wanted to marry that person or why you wanted this career or when you forget why you joined a church or why you gave your life to Christ, when you forget the why, then you're going to stop more easily. Discouragement happens when we forget the why. So let me ask you, why do you do what you do? Just to put money in your pocket and food on the table is usually not a good motivation. That will wear out pretty quickly. And so remember, it's not about me. The fourth point of defeating discouragement is in the next verse, and it has to do with this. Relax in my limitations. Why is this an important antidote to discouragement? Because you will get discouraged when you try to be Superman or Superwoman. You get discouraged when you try to do more than is humanly possible. We need a realistic view of ourselves. And one fact is that you can't fix everybody's problem. Sometimes we act like we can, but you can't be in more places than one at the same time. You can't do everything you probably want to do. You can't spend money you don't have, although some try to do that. Um, anytime you don't live within the limitations of your life that are normal, you're getting discouraged. Is it easier to fill your schedule than to fulfill your schedule? A lesson I need to be aware of as well. Is it easier to make a promise than to keep a promise? Easier to get into depth than out of depth. Now, Paul talks about the physical limitations of his body in verse 7. He says you need to know your limits. We read there, We have this treasure from God, but we are like clay jars that hold the treasure. This shows that the great power is from God, not from us. So he says our bodies are like pottery. We are like clay jars. We have all different sizes of jars here. <laughs> uh, but pottery is a very fragile thing. If you drop it, it breaks. So all our bodies are like clay jars, and in some way we all have some cracks, and probably some even have been dropped already. And one interesting thing is that God often puts his biggest gifts in the weakest people. And actually that's good, because then people know it must be God. That way his glory shines through. For all history, God only has used flawed instruments. He has never used a perfect person except for Jesus. If he would only use perfect people, nothing would get done. Because there aren't any. You might think your weaknesses are something to hide. But actually, they might be something that God wants to use even. Some people think they don't have any weaknesses. Some deny them. Some hide them. Some know about them, but rationalize or excuse them. 
And then some others are mature enough to accept them. Like Paul mentions in another passage, uh, that he even can glory in the weakness because they know that he knows that when, when he is weak, God can be strong. Christ is strong. When I am weak, he can still be strong in me. When you think of Christmas, God even entered this world in weakness, not in strength. God has used weak people to trust him so his power could work through them. And this is what humility is about. Humility is not denying your strengths, but being honest about your weaknesses. And we have both. We have strengths and we have weaknesses. So give God glory for the strengths and abilities that you have, but also be honest about your weaknesses. It is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We can be close to God and have good knowledge of the Bible and still struggle with our limitations and emotions. But let's move on now to the next point, number five. Use my pain to help others. Paul says, I use my pain to help other people. Remember that list we went through before and also last week with Hans Georg? The beatings, the shipwrecks, the imprisonments, and so on. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9, he says this. We often suffer, but we are never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. And when we are knocked down, we get up again. Now why? Why is God so resilient? Why is Paul so resistant to discouragement? What allows him to get back up again every time he's knocked down? If you would have asked Paul, why did you put up with all that? All the jailings, the beatings, the going without food the, uh, or clothes, spending time on the open sea and all these things. Um, why did you put up with all that? Probably his response, his response would be what we read in verse 15 where he says, All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace, grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Paul says, I keep on going. I don't get discouraged because I know it is helping others, even my pain. Studies have shown that people can suffer enormous pain if they see a purpose in it. When you have pain and you don't see any purpose in it, it is unbearable. But when you see a good purpose in it, it can become more bearable. And he says here, my purpose of suffering is for other people's benefit. Sometimes you will suffer for the benefit of other people. And at that moment, you're more like Jesus than in any other moment. Because that is also what Jesus did. He suffered on the cross, not for his own benefit, but for our benefit. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he still was willing to suffer on the cross for our redemption. Sometimes God will let you go through pain, not for your benefit, which is also possible, but for the benefit of others. And Paul says, I keep on going because I know it helps others. And in the second part, it is for the glory of God. I personally like to read or listen to life stories of other Christians. And I've heard many or read many interviews of people who went through pain and difficult situations and later founded ministries to help people with the same problems they had or still have. People who went through abuse, psychological struggles, broken family um, spiritual drawbacks, brutality, all these things. People who went through suffering seem to know best how to help others in the same boat. What in your life is so painful that it could be used to help other people? 
Your greatest ministry can come out of your greatest hurt if you're honest to God, to yourself, and to others. I feel sorry for anyone who's going through pain. But unfortunately, that's a part of living in a broken world. But it's better, at least if the pain is not wasted, like Paul's. Now to the sixth point. Take time for renewal. Over time, you need to find out how to recharge and be refreshed. If you don't get recharged, you will get worn out and discouraged and give up. Paul talks about this in verse 16. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. We have to learn how to be renewed every day. This concerns our mind, our body, our heart. Obviously, our bodies are aging. You look different than 10 years ago. You can't stop the aging process, but you can still stay fresh inside. Did you notice that Paul talks about renewal even on a daily basis? How do you do that? Well, you need a spiritual renewal by spending time with God every day. This can be by reading his word, by praying, and so on. You need to know what renews you emotionally. You need to know what renews you physically. And that's best done on a daily basis. And now to the final point in this chapter, how to defeat discouragement. And that's a major one again. And it's number seven, stay focused on eternity. Paul's final strategy of defeating discouragement is not looking at the here and now, but he says you need to maintain an eternal perspective. You have to look beyond the here and now because that's what's going to discourage you. But when you look into the future, into heaven, into the coming rewards and all the things God has for you, then you get over discouragement. You lose your perspective every time you get tired. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4 verses 17 and 18. For our present troubles are small. And remember, this is the same Paul who went through all the big list of suffering, who faced death many times. He's saying our present troubles are quite small compared to what? This is a matter of perspective. And he means it is small compared to all the joys we will experience one day. So he says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Our time on earth is limited. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So, and this is the key now, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Eternal motivation is stronger than any of other form of internal and external motivation. This life is not all there is. We're made to last forever, but not in the same form. And we only get to spend little time here on earth compared to all the time in heaven. So let's remember this. Let's think about this eternal motivation. This is how Jesus also endured the cross, as we read in Hebrews 12 too. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that lay before him, endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. How did Jesus handle the pain and the suffering? He was looking beyond it. He has set his eyes on eternity. Of course, he knows more about eternity than we do. But this is the trust we have and we share with Jesus. Only when you see the invisible, you can do the impossible. 
when things you go through seem impossible, this might be even true in church, we have to look beyond that and see what God's Spirit can do. I told you about Corrie ten Boom in one of my previous sermons. And she survived the Holocaust. And she said this last little poem, a verse. And she said, when you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within you, you would be depressed. But when you look at Christ, you will be at rest. If you know her life story and suffering, you will know that these words came from her heart. She went through a lot of suffering as well. But it all depends on what you've got your eyes on. Discouragement can be like a disease and you can catch it more than once. It's highly contagious. Probably more than COVID-19. If you hang around discouraged people, and then you'll be infected. But in order not to get discouraged, let's fix our eyes on Jesus instead, as also the words we read before said. Looking forward at the things we, not, we have not seen yet. And looking at these seven principles to overcome discouragement, let me add, it is more simple if you are not alone, but you have other people joining you. It is always easier if you have other people to help you with these seven things to go on. And to end this sermon, let me close with a verse from another letter of Paul. And we find this in Galatians 6, verse 9. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So I hope that these, this promise is an encouragement to all of us. Not to give up in whatever area in our lives, but to remember why we do things, for whom we do it, what the motivation is behind it, to remember that we serve others, that we serve a great and mighty God. So let's bow our heads and close the sermon in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are an almighty God, that you are above our emotions, our feelings, our our discouragements, um, any problem, any trouble we have, Lord. I pray that you will help us to have the right perspective about things in life, not only about discouragement, but anything um, that concerns our service, our life to you, Lord. I pray that your spirit will work, work in us and through us in order to be your testimonies in this world, that we see that it is not because of us. We cannot be testimonies out of our own strength, but only because of you. That when people see how you work in and through us, that they will give you the praise. That they will see what difference you make, Lord. I thank you that you are God of love. That you never stop loving us, no matter in what situation we are. We thank you that you send your son um, to die for us on the cross. I thank you for having this view in the future, on eternity, that we have a place that we can look forward to, that is far beyond our imagination. Help us to keep this perspective whenever it's needed, whenever we feel discouraged, Lord. I pray that everybody who's watching right now and struggles with discouragement will be, um, yes, will feel your spirit working in and through them to get out of this discouragement and find new motivation, motivation to go on with life, motivation to go on with whatever area was this, is discouraging, with um, yeah, being strengthened in their lives in physically, emotionally, and spiritual ways, Lord. So I thank you that 
that you take our feelings serious. I thank you that you enable us to be your service, that you want to use us despite of being not perfect, despite of failing. I thank you that we always can turn back to you, that your ear is always open, your hand is always stretched out to receive us again. So may you help us to see that and to give the glory back to you, not to do things for our own sake, but for your sake. May you be praised, not only by what we say, but by what we do, by how we live. Because you are a great and glorious God. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.